Cool. Well, I will open us up in prayer. Um, God, I, I, I thank you for the way you're moving at Redemption Church. God, I, I pray that you continue to speak through the life of David as, as we study in First and Second Samuel. Um, God, I, I thank you for the holiday season, and, and may Thanksgiving be all about you. Um, God, I, I just pray that throughout this holiday season, our, our focus is on you and on your son. It's in his name I pray. Amen. All right, so last week um, we had talked through the end of 1 Samuel where we saw Saul was, we saw Saul, Saul was hunting David. So David is running through the mountains, he's hiding in caves, and, and Saul is, is chasing him because Saul was envious of the attention that David was getting. He, he thought that David was a threat to his rule, his reign, and he's chasing David, trying to kill him. We see David running and, and hiding, and he's trusting God's provision throughout. I mean, we even talked about, you know, David had a couple chances that Saul was sleeping, and he got right up to him, and, and you know, he took his spear, and he took his water jug. He, he cut a part of his cloak and said, look, like, I, I had the chance to kill you, and I, I didn't. And we see David just waiting and, and trusting God's provision, and we talk through that and, and what it looks like um, as a Christ follower to wait on God. And I, I think... David is such a good example, and especially at, at 1 Samuel and the end of 1 Samuel, um, such a good example of, of what it looks like to wait on God and wait on God's timing. I mean, it, it, there's no way it was easy to go for years of, okay, I, I know I have this promise from God. I have this promise of this inheritance of, of being a king, but you're running and you're hiding in, in caves and you're worried that like, you, you might lose your life to this king and his you know, thousands of soldiers that are are chasing after you. We, we talked about David and, and the way he was able to wait on God. And so now we're going to fast forward a little bit where he has waited on God and now the time has come where David is going to become king. So earlier, the very end of 1 Samuel, we see the Philistines and Saul and his son Jonathan are at war with the Philistines and the Philistines actually overtake them and Saul and Jonathan both end up being killed. So they are, are killed in battle. And then we fast forward and David is left. And so in chapter two, David becomes king of Judah. So he becomes king of a, a, a part of Israel in chapter two. And then we jump to chapter five and we see David become king over all of Israel. So I'm going to start with 2 Samuel 5, 1 through 4. And we're going to be in chapters five through nine today. So we have a lot of scripture to cover. Um, again, that's why at the beginning I said it might be a little bit longer today. Um, But starting with 2 Samuel 5, verses 1 through 4. Then all the tribes in Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people, Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and at Jerusalem, he reigned over all of Israel and Judah for 33 years. So David becomes king after years and years of of waiting and struggle and and running and hiding. He is is now king. David is is at the throne and, and 
what do we see at, at that point, right? It's kind of a shift where he's gone, from, he's gone from running and hiding to now he's in a position of power. He's king over Israel. And all of a sudden, you know, God has delivered on his promise. So what's next for David? Well, we see all through the, the rest of chapter 5, victories for David. So David goes back and he defeats the Philistines that killed Saul and, and Jonathan. Um, and we see that in verses 17 through 25. So when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines went to search for David. But David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out of the valley of Raham, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. And David came to Baal-perizim, and David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a, a breaking flood. Therefore, the name of that place is called ba Baal-perizim. So we see David's heart remained the same. His heart for the Lord remained the same when he was running, when he was hiding, when he was running from Saul and thought that his life was in danger. Now he is king and he's in a position of power and his heart remains the same. He takes his questions to the Lord. So he goes straight to him and asks, should I, should I go? Should I fight the Philistines? Are you going to deliver me from the Philistines? We see that David continues to trust God's provision for his life. And so then we fast forward to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 through 16. So 2 Samuel chapter 7, 8 through 16. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep. So at the very beginning of our series, we saw David in the, in the pasture tending to sheep. And I have been with you wherever you went, and I have cut off your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of earth. And I will appoint a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly. From that time I appointed judges over my people, Israel, and I will give you rest from all of your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make a house when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So this is the, the covenant that God makes with David, who is now king. And from that promise comes the lineage to Jesus. So we see this, this covenant, this intimate covenant between God and David, and he promises to love and take care of David forever. Even until his days of rest, he promises to take care of, of David's lineage, which leads all the way to Christ. And so he promises to establish a kingdom for David's lineage. I'm sure a big part of this too, he promises rest. I mean, we see at the beginning of chapter 7, David's like, hey, can I have a house? Like, I've, I've been running, I've been hiding in coves, like, can I have a, a, a place to stay? And, and God delivers on that and delivers rest to David, who has been faithful for years. And we see that God keeps his promises. Now, I want to take a, a little bit of a, a step back, because it's been a lot. So we went from David running, persecution from Saul. David is, is now king. 
David defeats the Philistines. He's going through victory after victory through these chapters. We see God continues to deliver for David. And now in that position of of power, I mean, he went from being a shepherd, from taking care of sheep, from being the the youngest brother who wasn't even considered initially when they're, they're looking through the brothers. And now David has gone from that shepherd to he is now king of Israel. He hadn't been in a position of power and control But while he wasn't in control and while he was running, while he was not in that position of power, he knew who he was and he knew who God was and he trusted God's power in his life. I think something that's hit me really hard through studying this is a lot of times we see like when things are are tough, when there aren't many places to turn, it, it feels like it could be a little bit easier to turn to Jesus, right? Like you you run out of options, you run out of you're just in a tough place, and I know for me personally, when it's hard and, I, and I'm not sure where to go or where to look, you, you look to Christ and you're, you're looking for answers from God out of like a, a place of desperation. But what happens when everything is, is going well? When you feel like, you know, the things that you have prayed for, you see them coming true. You, you really see God working in your life and, and things are, are going really well for you. That's where David was at now. And so it's often easy to forget as, as things are going well, you know, are we still depending on God? Are we still drawing close to God? Are we still like David and looking for his provision as we're making decisions, as we're, we're making moves? I, I think, you know, why, why is it different when you have choices, when you have, you know, some assemblance of power, when you have things that are going right? You know, why is it, it sometimes it feels like that's the moment when it's easier to drift away and drift away from trusting God and his provision. I think a big part of that is perspective, right? To to David, he had the power to make decisions. I mean, he had the power over life and death in many situations, but his perspective stayed the same. He still had fear of God and he had his trust in God and God's provision. So I want to dive a little bit further into David's perspective. So this is right after God makes this covenant with David. He makes a a promise. And now we look at David's response. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this instruction for mankind, O Lord God, what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things. So we, we see this, this attitude of gratefulness from David. His perspective is, is humbleness and gratitude before God. He says, you, O Lord, are great, and I am your servant. At this moment, he is a king of a nation, and he's calling himself a servant. I think there's a really, really powerful lesson for all of us there. No matter our title, our position of power, all of the, the pull that we feel like we have and the things that are going right, we're still servants to God and, and God is in control and, and God has the, the real power um, despite 
the position, our earthly position. And I think this is kind of opposite of what we see a lot in culture today, right? It's how do I get more power? How do I get a bigger title? How do I get more influence? And really, we, we see David really points to, hey, it's, it's not all that important. Power and influence on earth are not what matter. What matter is God's power. And then the way that as we gain more influence and as you see God trusting David with more power, more influence, he is still pointing to God and pointing to God's provision. So I think um, we've, we've talked about, you know, sometimes it's, it's easier to trust God's power when, when you don't have any. But what about when you do have, have power? I mean, David was controlling a, a nation at this point. And I, I think it, it just, let me ask, you know, if, if things are going well, what is God calling me to do with that? As, you know, as a Christ follower, when things are going well, what's he calling us to do? And, and how is he calling us to trust him? And now we're going to keep moving through 2 Samuel. So we see David's perspective and the way he looks at God. So how does David now use his power for the glory of God? So we're going to jump into chapter 9, and this is where we're going to spend most of our time today. And chapter 9 is about David and Mephibosheth, which I have pronounced this different every time, and I tried to come up with a nickname, and they all sounded terrible. So we're just going to roll with Mephibosheth, and hopefully that's close. Um, Chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul? So I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. So David made a promise to Jonathan that he's going to take care of his children, that he's going to stay in touch with his family. Jonathan and David, as we know, were, were really close friends. Jonathan helped save him as Saul was, was hunting him. So David says, Is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan, but he's crippled in his feet. And the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Mychir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And then King David sent and brought him from the house of Mychir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, who is the son of Saul, so Saul is Mephibosheth's grandpa. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. So we see now David has his power and he uses it to intentionally do good for someone who is cast out, who is running away from him because of fear of now David being in charge. I mean, his grandfather chased David for years trying to kill him. And as they were running away, so we jump back to 2 Samuel 4. So Saul and Jonathan are are killed. It was very customary that when, when one king was killed, his family was immediately in danger by whoever was taking over the throne. So they would try and wipe out that, that lineage. So Saul and Jonathan are killed. Mephibosheth takes off running with his then nanny, I guess would be the, his, his caretaker. And he was about five years old. <clears throat> and his caretaker dropped him. 
So he wasn't, he wasn't born crippled. As they were running away, as they were fleeing, his caretaker drops him and both of his legs are destroyed and, and he is crippled and he's unable to walk. And so he's been, Mephibosheth has been running since he was five out of fear of David and, and of the new throne and, and the kings that took over after Saul. And he's been running and now he looks and he's, he believes that the day has come. The king has found him. He's still of the lineage of Saul and he believes that they have found him and, and this could be his last day. And, and we know that it had been a while because he went from, he was five years old when they fled to he's now a parent and David finds him. So we see like once he received the news, he had to think. I mean, it was, it was so common for kings to eradicate any relatives of the king before them. So he immediately has to think, okay, David's here. This is, this is not good news. He can't, he can't be excited. And David finds him and his first words are, don't be scared. He tells him, don't, don't be scared. And so what is his response? Mephibosheth's response. So chapter 9, verse 8. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? So he calls himself a dead dog. And I think we need to clarify here, because anybody who knows me knows Rachel, like we really you know, value our dogs. It's a big part. It was very different back then. Like these dogs didn't have their own Instagram accounts. They're not sleeping on memory foam beds. It's a lot more... Um, when I was trying to picture it, it reminds me of dad and I went to Peru two years ago and the dogs are more just, it's just strays that are running around. They're eating garbage. If one of them stays close to your house for a few weeks, you might start calling it your dog, but it's still just outside running around. And so we, we picture that and Mephibosheth calls himself a dead dog. So what's his view of himself? So we look at the opposite of, okay, David started out as a shepherd and is now king of Israel. Mephibosheth started out as the, the grandson of the king, and he's now calling himself a dead dog. He's running. He's living in Lodabar, which literally means, here I put it, he, it literally means land with no pasture. Land with no pasture. And his name, Mephibosheth, in Hebrew means from the mouth of shame. So I think we see that opposite. Okay, everything is, is going really well for David, and here's his perspective on God. Now we see Mephibosheth, who is full of shame. He's fallen, he's scared. He thinks that his, his life could be ending. And, and now he's you know, pleading to David, why are you here? What do you have for your servant? What is your regard for a dead dog such as I? And then we look at, at David's response which is chapter 9, verses 19 through 13. Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belongs to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson, so Mephibosheth. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my king commands his servants, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. 
And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became his servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. So he went from, from living in Lodabar, the land with no pasture, to living in Jerusalem and eating at the king's table. So instead of death and ending the lineage of Saul, David brings mercy, grace, and, and kindness and lifts him up from this rough situation. I mean, he, Mephibosheth didn't run in the king's circle by any means. I mean, it's, I'm sure that that first time at the house, like, it, it didn't make sense. It was the opposite of what was custom in that time. But David had that close-knit relationship with God, and he had the correct perspective. And we see that he sought to do good, and he sought out Mephibosheth with intentionality. So he's, he's in a position of power, and he's seeking to do good for someone else. And I think it's a really, really good lesson to focus on as we head into Thanksgiving. How are we doing this as a church? Are we intentionally reaching out to people in need, to people who are, are far off, to people who could be hurting and, and fearful? How are we doing that as individuals, as, as Christ followers? How can we be like David and, and be intentional with doing good to people in need this Thanksgiving season? I think it's a, a good challenge for us. Um, you know, I think we've, we've seen a lot uh, through this David series, we, I mean, we go back to Goliath. Uh, we see from Goliath to Saul. But this story stood out to me. I don't know if it's just because it's, I don't feel like it's taught as much when walking through the life of David. I know for me it was, it was new. Um, it was a lot of fun to study. But it really, really stands out. And I think part of that is in many ways, like we are Mephibosheth. But instead of crippled and scared and on the run and broken, worried about a possible impending death, we were already dead. So I want to jump to Ephesians 2. If you want to follow with me, I think this would be a great place to jump in and make sure and take notes on, on Ephesians 2. And we're going to go verses 4 through 10. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we saw David take Mephibosheth from this position of, of hurt and suffering, and he's now at the king's table. And we look at that for ourselves, where we see that we were dead in our sin, and God showed us mercy through sending his son Christ. And it, it verbatim, now we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We are seated at the eternal table next to Jesus. We were dead and we are now made alive. And like Mephibosheth, we have a place at the table. So I see, you know, 
I think the big focus here is that, that God had mercy on us. David had mercy on Mephibosheth. God had mercy on us, and we have eternal life through his son. So I know we, we moved through a lot of that really quick, um, and I, I want to end. We have a psalm that DeMarcus is, is going to read for us. Um, so if we can jump into that psalm, and then I'll, I'll close us out in prayer. Psalm 33, verse 16 through 22. No king is saved by the size of his army, no warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfalling love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in fame. We, we wait in hope for the Lord, he is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Thanks. God, we, um, again, we just thank you for how you're moving at redemption. God, we, we thank you for the life of David and, and being able to look back at First and Second Samuel. God, I pray that we see Mephibosheth, and, and we see that, that we are just like him, that, that we are in, in need of mercy. God, we, are, we were dead in our sins, and, and you sent your son to save us, and, and we are so grateful for that. Um, God, I, I pray during this thanks, Thanksgiving season that we can focus on you. God, help us to be intentional about doing good for others. God, I, I pray that you put people in our lives that, that we can help, that we can point to the gospel, that we can show grace and mercy. God, I pray that this word resonates with us. God, help us to, to focus on Ephesians 2. God, help us to focus on the gospel throughout Thanksgiving, throughout Christmas. God, we, we thank you. God, it's in your son's name I pray. Amen.